Book Two, Chapter Two of The Mermaid. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. The Mermaid by Lily Dougal. The Isles of St. Magdalen. The schooner went out into the night and sailed for the North Star. The wind was strong that filled her sails. The ocean turbulent, black and cold, with the glittering white of moonlight on the upper sides of the waves. The little cabin in the forecastle was so hot and dirty that to Caius, for the first half of the night, it seemed preferable almost to perish of cold upon the deck, rather than rock in a narrow bunk below. The deck was a steep inclined plain, steady, but swept constantly with waves, as an incoming tide sweeps a beach. Caius was compelled to crouch by what support he could find, and lying thus, he was glad to cover himself up to the chin with an unused sail, peeping forth at the gale and the moonlight as a child peeps from the coverings of its cot. With the small hours of the night came a cold so intense that he was driven to sleep in the cabin where reigned the small iron stove that brewed the skipper's odorous pot. After he had slept a good way into the next day, he came up again to find the gale still strong, and the prospect colored now with green of wave and snow of foam, blue of sky and snow of winged cloud. The favorable force was still pushing them onward toward the invisible North Star. It was on the evening of that day that they saw the islands. Five or six hilly isles lay in a half-circle. The schooner entered this bay from the east. Before they came near the purple hills they had sighted a fleet of island fishing-boats and now, as night approached, all these made also for the same harbour. The wind bore them all in, they cutting the water before them, gliding round the point of the sandbar, making their way up the channel of the bay in the lessening light, a chain of gigantic sea-birds with white or ruddy wings. All around the bay the islands lay, their hills a soft red-purple in the light of a clear November evening. In the blue sky above there were layers of vapour like thin grey gossamers, on which the rosy light shone. The waters of the bay were calmer than the sea outside, yet they were still broken by foam. Across the foam the boats went sweeping, until in the shadow of the isles and the fast-descending night they each furled their sails and stopped their journey. It was in the western side of the bay that the vessels lay, for the gale was from the west, and here they found shelter. But night had descended suddenly, and Caius could only see the black form of the nearest island, and the twinkling lights that showed where houses were collected on its shore. They waited there till the moon rose large and white, touching the island hills again into visible existence. It was over one small rocky island that she rose. This was the one that stood sentry at the entrance of the bay, and on either side of it there were moonlit paths that stretched far out into the gulf. On the nearer island could be seen long sand-reaches, and dark rounded hills, and in a hollow of the hills the clustered lights. When the moonlight was bright the master of the schooner lowered a boat and set Caius and his traps ashore, telling him that some day when the gale was over he could make his way to the island of Cloud. The skipper said that the gale might blow one day or two or three or more, but it could not blow always, and in the meantime there was entertainment to be had for those who could pay for it on the nearer isle. When Caius stood upon the beach with his portmanteaus beside him, some half a dozen men clustered round. In their thick garments and mufflers they looked outlandish enough. They spoke English, 
and after much talking they bore his things to a small house on the hillside. He heard the wind clamour against the wooden walls of this domicile as he stood in its porch before the door was opened. The wind shouted and laughed and shook the house, and whistled and sighed as it rushed away. Below him, nearer the shore, lay the village, its white house-walls lit by the moonlight, and beyond he could see the ships in the glittering bay. When the door opened, such a feast of warmth and comfort appeared to his eyes that he did not soon forget it, for he had expected nothing but the necessaries of life. Bright decoration of home-made rugs and ornaments was on all sides, and a table was laid. They were four spinsters of Irish descent who kept this small inn, and all that good housewifery could do to make it comfortable was done. The table was heaped with such dainties as could be concocted from the homely products of the island. Large red cranberries cooked in syrup gave color to the repast. Soon a broiled chicken was set before Caius, and steaming coffee rich with cream. To these old maids Caius was obliged to relate wherefore he had come and whither he was bound. He told his story with a feeling of self-conscious awkwardness, because, put it in as cursory a manner as he would, he felt the heroism of his errand must appear. Nor was he with this present audience mistaken. The wrinkled maidens, with their warm Irish hearts, were overcome with the thought that so much youth and beauty and masculine charm, in the person of the young man before them, should be sacrificed, and, as it seemed to them, foolishly. The inhabitants of Cloud Island, said these ladies, were a worthless set, and in proof of it they related to him how the girls of the Cloud were not too nice in their notions to marry with the shipwrecked sailors from foreign ports a thing they assured him that was never done on their own island. Italian or German or Norwegian, or whoever the man might be, if he had good looks, a girl at the cloud would take him. And would not they themselves, Caius asked, in such a case, take pity on a stranger who had need of a wife? Whereat they assured him that it was safer to marry a native islander, and that no self-respecting woman would marry with a man who was not English or Irish or Scotch or French. It was of these four latter nationalities that the native population of the islands was composed. But the ladies told him worse tales than these, for they said the devil was a frequent visitor at Cloud Island, and at times he went out with the fishers in their boats, choosing now one, now another, for a companion, and whenever he went there was a wonderful catch of fish, but the devil must have his full share, which he ate raw and without cleaning, a thing which no Christian would do. He lived in the round valleys of the sand-dune that led to the cloud. It was a convenient hiding-place, because when you were in one valley you could not see into the next, and the devil always leaped into the one that you were not in. As to the pestilence, it was sent as a judgment, because the people had these impious dealings with the evil one, but the devil could put an end to it if he would. It was strange to see the four grey-haired sisters as they sat in a row against the wall and told him in chiming sentences these tales with full belief. "'And what sort of disease is it?' asked Caius, curious to hear more. "'It's the sore throat and the choke, sir,' said the eldest sister. "'And a very bad disease it is, for if it doesn't stop at the throat, it flies direct to the stomach, sir, and then you can't breathe.' Caius pondered this description for a few moments, and then he formed a question which was to the point. "'And where,' said he, "'is the stomach?' at which she tapped her chest, and told him it was there. He had eaten somewhat greedily, 
and when he found that the linen of his bed was snow-white and the bed itself of the softest feathers, he lay down with greatest contentment. Not even the jar and rush of the wind as it constantly assaulted the house, nor the bright moonlight against the curtainless window, kept him awake for a moment. He slept a dreamless sleep. End of Book Two Chapter Two Recording by Bill Borst